Hello and welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Leadership Academy Network. I am your host, Colin Cernelia, and thank you so much for joining us today. Please head over to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. This podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Plus, don't forget, you can now play this podcast on any Amazon-enabled device. Just ask Alexa, play the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Getting Dynamic Leaders with Colin Treniglia from Apple Podcasts. Before this episode begins, please consider taking a minute and leave a rating and review. Doing this really does help us grow the show, and you can get featured for your review on a future episode. Okay, we go to episode 123 of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. If you're binging along, you probably don't even care what the number is, but I thought I'd throw it in there just in case you aren't. And in today's episode, I am going to be joined by Emma Leiden. Emma is the founder of Picker Up Basketball and is also a product manager at IDEO. We had actually recorded this conversation while Emma was still working for Title IX, so you'll see that referenced a couple times in the conversation, but just letting you know that she has moved on from that opportunity and is now doing work with IDEO. Emma is also a former basketball player at McAllister College, where she was a three-time academic all-conference selection and a team captain. Topics included in today's conversation are why her athlete mentality is a way of life and not something she tries to separate, how WNBA players like Maya Moore have been role models to Emma in her life, what her responsibility is to mentor young girls in basketball, what it takes to rebuild a culture that was once great but has fallen on hard times, and why she found it pick her up basketball so women would have more opportunities to continue playing the sport. My highlight for this episode goes back to WNBA players like Maya Moore being role models to Emma and what Emma's responsibility she feels is to mentor young girls in basketball. It's interesting, Emma and I had this conversation before the death of George Floyd and the ensuing long overdue Black Lives Matter movement that followed that. So you can already tell that Emma is a person who cares about inclusivity. She talks about that being one of her pillars. You can tell that Emma just truly cares about people and about developing basketball players because she has such a passion for the sport. Basketball is a great vehicle for her to be able to be a part of an inclusive community. And if you listen to the conversation, you'll hear her talk about that multiple times, but especially in relation to pick her up basketball, which she feels just as strongly about as she does many things in her life. So I was really impressed with Emma. I really enjoyed this conversation and super excited to give you an opportunity to listen to it. So let's not waste any more time and let's dive right in and discover our talent altitude. Here is my talk with Emma Leiden. All 
right, everyone, welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest with me is Emma Leiden. Emma, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I am thrilled to get to talk to you. And we're making this whole three-hour difference, time difference work here. You're in the morning, I'm in the afternoon, but we're making it work. And before I get too far off topic here, I do want to first give you an opportunity to tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So please tell us, who are you? Sure. Yeah. So um, my name is Emma and I I've played basketball my whole entire life. That's one of the first things I mentioned because it's a uh, key part of my identity. About four years ago, I founded something called Pick Her Up Basketball, which is a uh, weekly pickup basketball organization for women to come together and find community and play the game they love and enjoy that experience. And before that, I was playing college basketball at McAllister College. Um, I've also been a coach also been a sports journalist at one point. Um, and now I work at Title Nine, uh, which is a women's clothing company and uh, work there in e-commerce. So cool. And <laughs> you said something really interesting there. And uh, we're going to maybe bounce around a little bit as a result of this, but I, I have to dive a little bit deeper into this phrase that you just said and into this thought process maybe that you have. So a lot of the conversations I have, whether it's on this podcast or in the line of work that I'm doing in general, a lot of times we talk about identity and what type of crisis we're having when we can no longer play the sport that we've played since we're five years old, or somewhere around that age. So for a lot of people, the identity is a crisis situation and it's something where they can't separate the athletics from life after sport. But you said something really interesting that even though you're done playing competitive basketball, like you're done being the actual athlete, right? You still see basketball as something that is part of your identity. Can you talk to us a little bit about why you said that and why that is something that's important to you? Sure. Yeah. I yes, while my college playing days are done, I still play at least three times a week. So I definitely still consider myself an athlete. <laughs> Even if I wasn't playing three times a week, though, like that athlete mentality, that never goes away. I think a lot sure. of athletes can understand that. It's a way of life. It's how I approach the game of life. And I think that I honestly think in sports metaphors every single day of my life. So let's say I come up against a challenge in uh, a work setting. I'm literally thinking about being a point guard back in uh, my basketball official career and I'm thinking about you know how can I orchestrate the team and um, you know bring together people in the same way that I did on the court and doing it off the court so in a lot of ways I feel like once you're an athlete you're always an athlete and so that is like such an integral part of my identity um, I grew up with basketball and other sports since I can remember it was just part of my life and it was an absolute joy to live, to grow up that way. And so part of the reason why I founded Pick Her Up Basketball is because right after college, I came home to the Bay Area. And after playing a 20-year career, uh, all of a sudden I was without a team for the first time. And that mm -hmm. was just such a strange experience for me. And as a woman specifically, I was looking for places to play. And it was pretty much exclusive to just co-ed 
rec leagues. And while those were fun, I still felt like I couldn't play. I couldn't play my game fully. I had to, you know, avoid six, five elbows coming down <laughs> to my face in the paint. And I had to just shoot three pointers, which I love doing, but it would just changed my game. And it also wasn't that fun representing women on the court instead of just representing another basketball player. Sure. And so, um, that's actually the identity piece of, you know, having this whole career and having that be an integral part of my identity. And all of a sudden that dropping off, I knew I needed to create something and I needed to find other people who were just as excited about that. And then that's how Thicker Up Basketball started. I love that so much. And, and I just love how you own it and you lean into that identity. And it's something that you've learned to be able to transfer and translate some of those qualities that you learned on a basketball court, let's say, into now life after sport. And I think that that is really a healthy perspective. Um, I, I, I know that for some people, separating themselves is difficult and it is a challenge. And sometimes they need to go a little bit to the extreme to find some normalcy and to find some balance in life after sport. But I just do think, and, and that's the point of this podcast in so many ways, is that what you learn in athletics and competition can help you in life after sport. You just have to know how to translate all those skills and all those attributes that you learned. And that part of it specifically, I mean, was that something you were always comfortable doing or did you have to maybe learn from trial and error like, Ooh, I, I can't be quite as maybe uh, competitive as I was on the basketball court in this situation, even though it kind of seems like the same thing people in the corporate world, for example, don't react to it the same way. Did you ever have like moments like that where things were maybe a little bit different, even though you thought you were going to be able to just translate it? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's definitely a trial and error aspect. Not everything translates seamlessly. Um, <laughs> I would say that, you know, I have a, a huge fire and intensity about me that really, really helped me be an, a great athlete. And then when you translate that into a corporate world, it looks a little different. And so I had to learn those um, sometimes the hard way and just learning, you know, when you're with a team on a basketball team, for example, like you're with them 24 seven. It's just, that is who you hang out with. And obviously that's not the case in a work setting or in other leadership settings in your life. And so you have to learn how to connect with different personalities and different teammates off the court, but with a lot less time, a lot less intensity. Um, you're not always going towards the most common goal like you are on a basketball team. Um, sometimes it's, you know, you're having to figure out different goals amongst different teammates. Um, and so all those things don't translate perfectly, but what does translate pretty well is, you know, the value of leadership, the value of teamwork, being able to talk to different people and, and kind of piece together what you've learned over decades of learning from different teams that you've been on, different people you've interacted with in the game of sports and translating that does, I think, work pretty well if you've learned those lessons, which is inevitable if you've played for as long as I have and as long as a lot of people have. Absolutely. And again, just such a healthy perspective. I really do want to highlight that. I mean, you pointed out what some of the differences are and where some of those challenges may come into play, but there is just so much in terms of leadership, in terms of teamwork, overcoming adversity, like 
those are things that you're going to encounter for the rest of your life, whether that's in a professional setting or just in your personal life. So I really appreciate that perspective. And I'd like to go back to basketball a little bit more specifically and I guess learn from you. What about basketball made it so that you became so passionate about the sport and made it that you wanted to continue to play through college and now even post-college be able to continue to play and find and you found your own company as a result of basketball where did that passion spark from first time I touched the ball man (laughs) (laughs) um that passion I don't know it's kind of indescribable I think when you found your sport everything clicks for me I was just mesmerized by the game of basketball like since the age of five I like always said I wanted to be the only girl in the NBA. That was my, when people <laughs> asked me what I wanted to grow up to be. And then all of a sudden, like a few years later, I learned that there was something called the WNBA. <laughs> um, right. So like, just as a little kid, I was trying to figure out, I was trying to navigate like our world in the terms of sport, in terms of gender, in terms of where I fit into that. And I was trying to figure out how could I let out my energy? I was a super like energetic kid, just like, really outgoing and just wanted to like be part of whatever the action was. And so on the basketball court, I was able to like fully let that out. And I was able to be like as intense and like as passionate as I wanted to be. And there was no, uh, there was nothing that held me back on the court. Um, when you take a step off the court, there was maybe other things where people said you couldn't do this, or you couldn't do that based on your gender on the court though. I felt like, um, I felt like this completely freeing feeling. So honestly, it was the time that I literally first like played a game. Um, and that, that was probably at the YMCA with my dad coaching on a Saturday morning. From there, it just grew to be to playing all the time. And I tried other sports and I loved those experiences as well. But there was something about about basketball for me. Yeah, that's so cool. And I'm curious, once <laughs> once you found out about the WNBA and maybe had an opportunity to start watching that or to start following along with some of those athletes, were there any particular athletes, whether it was WNBA or just females in general, that you were able to look up to and say, wow, I could be just like her. Like I, I aspire to be the type of athlete that she is, to have the type of influence that she has. Was there anyone that really stood out? Absolutely. I mean, I had my eye on Shanika Holtzclaw, a straight legend, uh, <laughs> Cheryl Swoops, Cooper. I mean, like, there's just so many amazing legends that started the league. And then it, it continues today. I mean, I'm, I'm such a fan of the WNBA and how much it's grown. And, and the women are just like complete class acts. There's the most amazing athletes in the world and then also just incredible role models. You'll notice that most of them talk about increasing the visibility for women's sports, um, what that takes. They're always trying to go the extra mile to increase um, exposure on the league. And you don't see that with the NBA and, and with male players because they've already had that exposure. And so sure. the women take on an extra layer of mentorship. And that's what I watched as a kid. So I watched tons of players uh, pave that way forward. I, for a long time, was watching when I was in college and a little bit beforehand, I was watching Maya Moore. She's still one of my favorite players. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, she's taken off two years for the WNBA to work on social justice 
things that need her attention even more than basketball right now. And that right there is just such a, um, an inspiring mentor that I've looked up to even as an adult now. Yeah, absolutely. And Maya's story is obviously really incredible and really inspiring and has somewhat of a uh, happy ending for those who don't know. Yeah. And I, I encourage you to, uh, to take a look at that and uh, just learn a little bit more. And I can, I'll, I'll try to find a, a link to a story that we can put in the show notes as well. But I, I think it's so cool to your point about the visibility aspect. And, and I think it's working because for me, so another UConn grad, Sue Bird, she was like, she she was the girl that yeah uh, oh my god like still to this day I, I gush over her like I have this this huge crush uh, the women's soccer team played in Charlotte over I think it was back in October uh, post winning the World Cup and I was just hoping that I would see Sue Bird and unfortunately I didn't but because uh, because of Megan Rapino <laughs> and uh, so you know just like have this huge uh, crush on her as as a as a basketball player like in the same way that I had like huge man crushes on Alex Rodriguez and on Kobe Bryant and things yeah. like that and um, you know Sue is on just this past Friday in the WNBA draft she's one of the special analysts with another UConn uh, Rebecca Lobo, and then they have Ryan Rucco on, who's one of the Yankee reporters as well. So, like, I'm familiar with all these people, and I'm watching this draft, and I'm thinking to myself, like, it's working. Like, it's starting to work. Mm-hmm. It's starting to bring in people like myself and my brother and my wife, who have all been quarantined in the same house forever and ever. We're watching the WNBA draft, a uh, virtual draft on a, on a Friday night. Like, you would ask me maybe even five years ago, I, I don't know that we necessarily would have said we'd be doing that quarantine or not. Uh, you know, it was something that we were looking forward to with seeing Sabrina get drafted and all those type of things. So I think it's really cool to see that with the WNBA specifically, it's really starting to gain some traction and take hold. And uh, from like the responsibility of you, let's, let's talk about you a little bit more specifically besides picker up basketball, which I want to talk about in a little bit more detail. What are some of the other things that you've done maybe to mentor younger players and younger girls or just try to help the basketball, the women's basketball community in general? Like, have you found that to be something that is a responsibility you want to uphold? Absolutely. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of my purpose on in life sure. uh, and my existence here. Um, <laughs> and I hope to kind of live that out. I think you can do it in so many different ways, big and small. So the most direct way I think I've made an impact is as a coach. Um, I, I coached at the high school level for about four years. Being able to be a female mentor directly with female athletes is you can just see your impact on kids in just four months. Unfortunately, it's hard to balance the coaching life with something like a nine to five corporate uh, job, which is what I came against, which is what has put my coaching career a little bit on hold, but I'm sure I'll get back to it because it was just so gratifying to watch your impact change the life of someone just by teaching them their own abilities. So I'll give you an example. One time I was working at the Stanford women's basketball um, summer camp and there was this one girl who was having a really hard time going behind the back and doing this dribbling routine. Just kept on seeing her get so frustrated, almost to the point of getting emotional and all the other girls could do it. And so that was kind of rubbing it in for her. And so I took her 
um, to the side and I said, hey, on your lunch break, come and find me. So on her lunch break, she came and found me. We found a court. And we just, for 10 straight minutes, I just taught her every possible way I could teach a behind-the-back move. After 10 minutes, she could do it like it was nothing. (laughs) And to watch her, like, literally in the span of 10 minutes, it was not about me. It was about how she was literally unlocking blocks, probably more so mentally, telling herself that she couldn't do it, that she was comparing herself to other people, right? It was like watching her unlock each one of those levels until finally she was like free to do the thing that she wanted to do. Um, And so I think that that is like in a lot of ways kind of a mentor, a metaphor on how we can mentor uh, young women. Uh, We can show them the way we can kind of provide some general tools, but then we can let them fly and we can let them find that within themselves. It's there. It just has to be unlocked and it's been locked up maybe perhaps because of, um, you know, someone told them they couldn't do it or they haven't been as encouraged as maybe their brother next to them. Or There's a million reasons. It could be gendered or it could not. But taking those opportunities to show um, young girls their power and everything that they already have within them is, is I think, the most direct way you can push the women's game forward, push society forward. Uh, so as a coach, that was the most gratifying. But you can see it in, in smaller ways, too. I mean, just as a consumer, you can think about going into, let's say, Dick's Sporting Goods and asking for the most recent WNBA championship gear, the jerseys. And if they don't have it, at least ask for it, because that'll show that there's interest and there's demand. And if they do have it, buy it and wear that around town and mm-hmm. you know represent that. Because that's how you increase visibility. If everyone does that, then all of a sudden it's not a uh, considered no one watches the WNBA. It's like, no, it's obvious. We see bumper stickers. We see jerseys. We see attendance. Like it is building and it's getting there. And it's getting there because people are taking, are interested in the sport and then they're acting like a normal fan and they're finding the gear and they're wearing the gear, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, to your point about the beer, how fast did Sabrina's jersey sell out after she got drafted on, on Friday night? So lie. I mean, that's that's exactly right. Like someone at Nike underestimated uh, how much to buy of that jersey. Yeah, right. That's the reality of it. And so, can you fault them? Uh, yes, I can. But I'm trying to look on the positives, <laughs> and I'm trying to think. You know what? At least the numbers. Uh, have shown that that sold out in X amount of hours. And so now they, I would hope that right now they're buying more jerseys and it will continue to sell out until they get that inventory number right. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll be one of those people once the jerseys come back in stock. I, I, I don't even think it was an hour, honestly. I, I think it sold out right. in, in less than an hour. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. And that story you told, specifically the coaching story, I think is so powerful and such an important leadership story to highlight because you took somebody who you could see clearly cared, right? To the point that maybe it was, it was a detriment to them, but they cared. And and sometimes that's half the battle, especially when you're talking about kids. So you see somebody who cares and as a leader, so you as the leader identified that they were struggling, they had a challenge and you want it to help them. And and I think what is most important about this story is the fact that you did this 
in an individual like one-on-one basis. You told that person, hey, come find me. So you put the onus on them, right? You, the ball was in their court. Let's let's use a yeah. basketball analogy there. And she came and, find, and found you. And then instead of maybe embarrassing her in front of the entire team when clearly she's already having some difficulties with her emotions and with the skill that she's trying to learn, you take her somewhere where she's secluded, she's isolated and just say, Hey, let's just work on this together. And it's, I see this all the time, whether it's like, you know, a leader thinks they need to step up and call somebody out in front of another team. Like sometimes there's a time and a place for that. Right. But I think more often than not where, where leadership fails is the ability to, to actually connect with that person. Like if you call somebody out and they get embarrassed, like what, what's the point of it? Like you're not actually, you're not actually doing what you set out to do. Right. But if you, if you have a reason for calling somebody out and you need to talk to them, then just take them aside. Like I I've read Aaron judge right fielder for the Yankees is really good at doing that. And I think that's an important leadership attribute from his toolbox that I'd like to see more people do. And that, that story of you doing that just beautifully illustrates how you took that approach. And I think that's super effective. Hey everyone, Christine here from sweat with Stods, one of this show's sponsors. The Dynamic Leaders Podcast is here to help you be a better leader, and the best leaders take care of themselves both mentally and physically. I'm here to help on the physical side by making fitness accessible to everyone. As a certified personal trainer with years of experience coaching fitness classes, I've designed programs that can be followed at home and in the gym. These are intelligently structured programs, giving you a plan to follow to help you be successful. Build strength with my Get Strong at Home program, get quick results with Hit at Home 1 or 2, or work on your health outside of fitness with my Healthy Habits program. As a listener, you can get these programs at a discounted rate by entering code DYNAMIC at checkout. That's D-Y-N-A-M-I-C at checkout. So head on over to sweatwithstods.com. That's sweat with S-T-O-D-D-S.com to take the next step toward achieving your health and fitness goals today. I want to stick with your coaching since we brought it up and let's just segue into it a little bit more. One of the really interesting aspects that I read as a coach was that you rebuilt a culture of a team and of a program and of a school that you had played on and been a part of in the past. So you have that personal, obviously, uh, maybe uh, inspiration to, to really help, but I'm just fascinated with culture in general and like how you build a successful culture, however you identify that and however you define that. So I would love to hear from your perspective as a coach, what went into rebuilding the culture and what made it to, to say where you could write and say, Hey, we had, we had a great culture, like a culture that was inclusive and that people wanted to be a part of. Yeah. So at, at head voice, it's where I went to high school. And so It's a program that's really near and dear to my heart. When I played there, it was a really thriving program. I didn't make the team freshman year. It was a challenge that I had to work my way up from JV all the way to finally being a senior leader on that team. And we were a great program. Uh, We were led by um, Coach Mike Talps, who was an incredible coach. After my senior year, he uh, stepped down from the program to focus um, on another sport. And it was, I I watched the program um, kind of shift into being lots of a priority. And part of that was that they actually switched the girls' soccer season 
to be in the winter at the same time as basketball season. So uh, it took dual athletes into a position that had they had to choose, and a lot of the girls were choosing soccer. So wow. when I came back home, I kind of saw this program that, you know, was, again, back to my identity. It was an integral part of who I was and how I grew up. Um, and so I saw a team that was struggling to even get six girls on the team. They were going into classrooms and, um, the coach at the time was doing an excellent job, but it was, um, a really hard time for the program. And they were going into the classrooms and begging girls to, to sign up girls who had never touched a ball before. <laughs> so needless to say, the program wasn't doing as well in the league as when, um, I was there with my teammates, but I saw an opportunity to rebuild the program. I believed in uh, the athletic director was really supportive of the program. And I also uh, met another female coach who was just as excited as I was to um, rebuild it. And so we worked hand in hand uh, to try to get just the basic level of more girls on the roster. Um, that was step one. And then you're teaching girls who really had little experience with the sport, but you're teaching them about, you know, how to be a good teammate and how to try to win games. I mean, it was hard. It was like we, you know, we really had to fight to win anything. And over the course of three, four years, we got to the point where we were winning the league and uh, even the most recent uh, season, which I wasn't a part of. I, that was um, kind of more on the, the corporate world now at Title IX. But um, just watching them, them from afar, I mean, I'm looking at a kid that I coached in seventh and eighth grade. She's now leading the team as a senior. She's actually going on to play college basketball. That was her dream. She was one of the kids that was did have a lot of experience and was super excited about playing at the next level. And she, you know, willed her team to get all the way to the sectionals and, and I think the second furthest the program has ever gotten to. So the program really grew and that was a lot of just like drilling and teaching the basic level of, of the sport and the girls were so good at learning. Um, and then also instilling culture and really trying to give them perspective on what the program used to be and what, what do we want to take from that and how do we want to redefine going forward. And it was a whole process. It was really fun. <laughs> I don't know that I, <laughs> the, when you, I don't think you normally hear process and fun in the, in the same sentence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that just got me cracking up. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Really great perspective. And you should enjoy the process because that's, that is, I think the fun in it is being able to, to build and develop and to help these kids, whether it's, they want to play at the next level or they're just trying to build those life skills that we talked about earlier. There's so much that you can teach them. And from a culture perspective, one of the aspects that you pointed out was being able to connect historically what the program was like and how that can be a motivator. And I'm curious, like, how were you able to balance being able to connect back when you played and even before that to the next generation? Cause like, 
I feel like you can only go so far to say like our history is really important, but like these kids want to make their own history. Right. So like, how, how do you connect the history of a program with what you're trying to build for the future? Do you have any insight on that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that's something if I'm being really vulnerable, that's something that I struggled with as a coach because I felt very attached to uh, what the program used to be and what my experience was like. And I just felt like it was such a great experience. I was trying to replicate that for the present kids. And you're right, like times are different and and the kids would um, want to carve their own path and make their own experience. So that's something I learned over over the years of, of coaching them. Uh, and I think the best piece of in- insight that I have is that the kids know more than you. <laughs> they, they know, um, they know what they want. And your job as a coach is to follow their lead and to, you know, gently keep them on track and, and keep them, you know, excited about the goals and, and all that, but to kind of let them uh, take their reins a little more, I think can be really helpful. I learned a ton from these kids. They probably, I, I probably learned more than they did from me in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think there were some things that I, I felt like did translate from this the team that I was used to. For example, um, one thing that I loved that our, our coach did, he would have us, without any coaches in the room, he would have all the players in one room and write down their team goals and their individual goals for that season. And the team goals were like at least 10 up to 20 and the individual goals was at least three per player. And it, because the coaches were removed from that, the girls were able to, I remember being in that room and as a player and, you know, you really look to your team leadership, to your captains, you look to, it just feels more like an intimate moment where you really get to think, okay, what do we want? What is this team really um, striving for this season? And then you come out of that meeting and you present it to your coach and you say, you know, this is what we came up with. And then the coach can kind of have a discussion on if that aligns with the coach's goals and if that aligns with, you know, where they think the program's at, et cetera. And then you can come out of that with some real clear direction on where you're headed. Um, and so uh, we adopted that exact same approach and we did that for our girls. And that was a, a really great way to install like what previous culture had been and then adapt it to, they still defined those goals. So it really, they were owning it and it was their experience. Yeah. Wow. That is such excellent insight really. And I, I think it takes, as a coach and as a person, a level of humility and, and a level of self-awareness to just be able to delegate <laughs> to your players yeah. and, and let them, and let them empower themselves and, and understand that they probably do know a little bit more than we usually give our players credit for. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) that's, that's a really special perspective that um, I really appreciate you sharing with us. And I'd love to transition that into continue talking about basketball, but talk a little bit more about picker up basketball, which you found it in 2016. And you talked about a little bit earlier uh, 
at least the the genesis of it. But I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about it. It's grown to over 400 women. It's it's a pretty big deal in the San Francisco Bay Area now. So can you please tell us like a little bit about what was the reason behind starting that and what are some of the benefits to being a part of that community? For sure. Yeah. Um, I started it, I kind of touched a little bit on it earlier, but I started it largely because I saw this huge gap um, in the opportunities that women have to continue playing basketball after they play in college or wherever their uh, official career ends. I uh, really couldn't imagine my life without it, without basketball. And uh, it seemed bizarre to me, to be honest, <laughs> that um, <laughs> that I would stop playing after dedicating so many years of my life to this thing that I loved so much. Um, and I also really missed the aspect of my teammates. That was a huge part of my life in college and I went to school in the Midwest and I'm from the Bay area in California. And so all of my teammates were spread all across the country after graduation. And, uh, you know, you can certainly call them up and and continue your friendships, but you can't go to a hoop and just go play basketball. So, um, I kind of thought that there had to be, this could not just be me. That would just seem too strange. Um, (laughs) and so I, I started doing a lot of research. Um, I basically was going to anywhere I could think of and talking to as many women as possible to figure out, you know, where are the opportunities? And if there are no opportunities, well, what are we going to do? And so I was going into, you know, I'd go to like a regular gym, like a a weights gym. And uh, if a woman was wearing anything remotely close to basketball, I would like walk up to her and literally be like, hey, where do you play? You know, um, what do you know about the area here and, and who's playing where? And, and basically through that and through talking to like women in the stands at like men's rec league games and like everywhere imaginable, grocery stores, et cetera, um, I started learning that there was actually uh, virtually no opportunity to play. The one place that I uh, was made aware of was a place called Women's All B-Ball. They're a great organization, um, and I know the, the founders well. And they were, at the time, they were playing in various locations about once a month. And so I attended there, and, and uh, they had some women, and it was a great experience. And it kind of, that was one thing that inspired me uh, to see, you know, okay, there's there's some women who want to be playing. Um, and, and want, and are, you know, taking the time to go find it and that people there. And then from there, I, I started negotiating with the athletic director at, at the school that I was coaching at and he was really supportive. Yeah. So it started with, uh, me literally, uh, throwing together a Facebook event and I invited anyone that I could possibly think of that had any connection to a woman playing basketball. And on the first day, uh, it was about, it was like 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning. And it, it was 10, 10 or something after 10 a.m. And there was only three of us in the gym. And I was so disappointed. And I was thinking, this is like foolish to, to try this. <laughs> and then 10 minutes later, like 15 women showed up. And I didn't know one of them. They had all just figured it out through a network of, people talking to people and directing them to this Facebook 
Facebook event. And from there, we just started playing and we had an incredible time and it felt like the most freeing, exhilarating experience to be able to play again and to play with all women and just to to kind of shed um, all those barriers that I had felt when I played with men. And yeah, we kind of were like, okay, this was great. You want to meet next week? And so everyone's like, yeah. And then from there, it just started rolling and building. I got to the point where it was just every single run, there was a new, at least one new player showing up to play. And so after like six months of that, I realized like, oh, this is actually going to be successful. This is this is kind of a thing now. So I, I named it Pick Her Up Basketball. I came up with that name just because I feel like it embodies what I was hoping to create, which is a place where you can literally pick her up. You can, you know, play and pick her up and then go play basketball on the court. But also the other aspect of, of that phrase is that we kind of pick each other up emotionally and connect off the court and support one another and create this really inclusive community where everyone is welcome to be themselves and to be a basketball player, but also, you know, connect off the court and create this, this wonderful community of really diverse group of women. And so, yeah, it's, it's created, it's been an incredible experience. And you talk about like, legacy or the kind of impact that I want to make on the on the game and I'm super proud of what Picker Up has grown into be and it's been a long journey and it has a long journey ahead of it too. Yeah and you absolutely should be proud of all that work and I think that's so cool. We'll definitely link to that for anyone who's in the Bay Area and Emma if somebody's listening to this and they want to do something similar, right? Whether it's for basketball or any other sport or any type of community that they can build in general in their area. Like what's some of the first things that you have to do (laughs) in order to get something like that up and running besides have an idea for what specifically you want to do? Like, can you just offer a little bit of advice for somebody who may want to start their own basketball type of program in their own community? For sure. Yeah. Let me first say that my far out vision is that Picker Up would be in every major city across the entire country. So before you start your own, talk to me because I would <laughs> love to connect. But also, um, I've done my research on what's out there. There's two other organizations, Ladies Who Hoop and Hoop York City, that are in New York City. They're doing very similar things, um, if not more organized and have more aspects to their brands. So um, check them out as well. I think what it takes is one, you have to, um, there's some logistical things, you know, finding a gym is difficult and can be expensive. So finding that is, is a crucial aspect. And a lot of it, I would rely on your network, potentially look back at um, like what I did is look back on a school that you already attended. So you have some sort of relationship there that can work with you. I think there's another aspect where you have to think about the vision of what are you, what are you trying to build? Who are you trying to attract? Um, What is this really doing besides just play basketball? Because I think that is what has made picker up successful. Um, I've heard feedback from players who say, you know, I've met my best friend here. I've met my girlfriend here. I've met, Um, some of the best people that have helped me get a job. Like there's a million connections that have happened 
because of that community. And so I think um, it's not as simple as everyone show up at the gym and let's just play basketball. It's creating a space that feels comfortable and inclusive. I think that's one of my core values is um, inclusivity and making sure that that happens when they come into the door and greeting them and remembering their name. And we circle up before every single run that we do. We run for two hours and we circle up for the first 15 minutes and we talk about, you know, community announcements. And every single time we reiterate our rules, we reiterate um, the fact that uh, you call your own fouls. So if you are driving to the hoop and you get fouled, you call it right then and there. And unlike potentially other places, you know, we just honor every single call. And the, the whole point is to just stay competitive, but also just keep it moving and, and be less ego-related arguments about if that was a foul or not. It doesn't even matter. We're, we're in a space together to play, and, and uh, we're just going to keep it moving and, and get it on the next play. So there's like crucial parts of a culture that you want to think about intentionally. And once you think about those, then it's about you know creating a team of people who can help you to deliver on that vision. Um, and, and so, yeah, if you want more information that I've gone on for a while, but if you want more detailed information like that, feel free to um, connect with me. I'm on LinkedIn as Emma Leiden, or um, you can reach out directly at Pick Her Up Ball. Uh, on Instagram or um, search for us at our Facebook group and page pick her up basketball spelled out. So cool. And I just, I, I appreciate you talking about the relationship aspect of your community and how special it is and how powerful it even is to the lives that it's changed, the lives that it's touched and what it's done in the past and what it's going to do in the future. And I think it's so cool and just really want to commend you for all of that work. And definitely we will have all this information in the show notes. So people please check it out, take a look at it. And if you're looking to start something up, like you said, first reach out to Emma and then figure things out from there. (laughs) All right, Emma. Well, we are getting close. I know you just shouted out your LinkedIn anywhere, anywhere else, as far as like social media goes, where people can find you if they want to get in touch with you. Um, yeah, LinkedIn would be, uh, would be great. I'm an active member on there. You can also, like I said, you can find us on Instagram and on, on Facebook. So we'll provide those links, but, um, my personal one also, if you want to connect on Instagram is E-L-E-Y-D-E-N, my last name. So, um, yeah, we'll provide all of those, but I'm happy to connect with anyone. And, uh, that's how I've learned. And I'm, I'm excited to to meet anyone who's excited about these same things. Awesome. I will throw the rest of that information into our show notes. And Emma, before I let you go, the show is called Dynamic Leaders. And you have done an amazing job, an incredible job today showcasing your leadership and the reasons why I picked you to be on the show. But I do like to give my guests an opportunity to shout out someone in their own life who is influential either from a leadership standpoint or just in general. Do you have somebody that you'd like to give a quick shout out to today? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think there's a a ton of dynamic leaders in my life, but I'm going to go more specific and uh, 
My partner, Greg Plater, is um, an incredible dynamic leader. Um, we've talked a little bit today about what a dynamic leader means. Your podcast really represents people with a drive, with courage, with high emotional intelligence. I, I love how you define that. And that that's who he is. He, uh, he runs a brand called Intellectual Athletes. So I'd like to give that a shout out, um, which is all about kind of um, merging the boundaries of what it means to be an athlete. And uh, it's, he's an incredible human. I've been with him for six years. So <laughs> shout out to Greg. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. And a great shout out. Great way to end this conversation. Emma, thank you so much for taking time today to share your story, share your expertise. I'm super excited for people to hear this here in the near future and certainly wish you the best of luck with everything. Thank you so much for having me. This is great to talk to you.